People often forget with events is it's, it's really a long game. You're gonna get leads, it's gonna be great for building your database, but it's not gonna be instantaneous pipeline. And it really is about taking those leads and nurturing them and moving them through the funnel in a, a way that's relevant to them. Welcome to Virtually Live by Kaltura. Every week, we'll get into the latest and greatest in marketing, and specifically event marketing, audience engagement, and brand experience. To guide us through that, we've invited event professionals and marketing leaders from various industries. In this week's episode, Kaltura's Senior Director of Sales, Erin Durando, speaks with Qualified's VP Demand Generation, Sarah McConnell, about how she and her team found the right mix of virtual, in-person, and hybrid events, as well as an attribution model that helps them measure what brings them better ROI. Let's go. Hi, everyone. I'm Aaron Durando, and I'm coming to you li- virtually live from my home office in Portland, Oregon. Measuring and attributing event success and learning how to leverage it to make the right decisions has become crucial, a, a crucial part of marketing strategies, planning, and expectation setting with management. Not to mention connecting events to the overall customer journey and leveraging data from events for ongoing digital touch points. This is exactly why we're talking to Sarah McConnell. Sarah is the VP of Demand Generation at Qualified. So let's get into it. Sarah, welcome. Where are you joining us from today? I am joining you virtually from my living room in the East Bay in Walnut Creek, California. Oh, amazing. I uh, I used to live in San Francisco, so I'm uh, familiar with uh, familiar Walnut with Creek. Familiar with area. In-laws in Walnut Creek, actually. So oh, amazing. Great. We love it here. We're very fortunate. Awesome. So with, uh, without further ado, let's hop into it. You know, we're here today to talk about creating a lead pipeline through events and across the marketing funnel. And I'd love for you to walk us through how that has evolved with you and your team in the last couple of years. And let's start before the pandemic. How did you used to attribute leads in general and specifically to events and then follow up on them? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually joined Qualified during COVID, but I have some memories of like, I I was familiarized with the attribution model right before I joined. And at the time we were a pretty small startup and did a lot of in-person events pre-COVID and everything was about brand awareness. So from an attribution standpoint, everything we cared about was first touch. How how can we get people aware of us? And what was that first touch point? Because that helped us really optimize and put more dollars into what that was because that was our most important factor was brand awareness and driving more, more knowledge within our target accounts. So that was our big focus, first touch attribution for everything. And then obviously that changed pretty drastically when in-person events became no longer an option. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So with that, 2020 comes, everything yep. changes. You know, what what happened then and and what's it been like since? Yeah. So the first thing we did stopped everything. So obviously there was no events and we kind of were a small team at the time and we're like, is events like, should we even invest money in them? Where is it going to go? Obviously there was a lot of uncertainty and like where the what the options were even going to be. And then after a couple months, we were like, okay, we're feeling like people still really do want to get together. And obviously we can't, like there's such a thirst for like in-person yeah. networking. And we had, my CEO had recently been to an event that was hosted virtually. And it was like just a really small, intimate, like virtual wine tasting that another company had done. And he was like, this was great. We did wine tasting. It was like a virtual background of the actual winery in Napa. It was small breakout sessions. And he was like, it kind of felt like we were there, like we were together and it was something that people I think were really craving at the time. So we shifted obviously to completely virtual. 
And we made a big shift into doing smaller, intimate virtual events that sort of brought people together for like networking and idea sharing. And then we also, for ours, we do wine tasting. So we send wine to people. We have the winemakers actually on site and we still do these, even though we can now go back to in-person, we like still host these events because we had so much success with them. Wow. That's really awesome. Um, you know, on that note, if you were to give a few words of wisdom for companies who want to improve that journey and kind of, uh, you know, bring, bring along the conversion metrics to follow around leads, uh, you know, how, how would you advise them? Yeah, that's such a good question. And actually our, how we talk about attribution and leads from events in particular has changed. Like obviously pre COVID, I mentioned it was all about brand awareness. So we did first such attribution, like what, what was the first touch? How did those accounts or those contacts become aware of us? And then now as we've grown and we've scaled and obviously are doing many, many more events as we are two years later and things have gotten a little bit more back to normal is now we do like a full funnel attribution. So we're looking at first touch, we're looking at last touch and we're looking at influence. So everything that's happening along the journey and how are events contributing to that. And so my word of advice is as much as you can bring in all of that data because it does help you level set and decide not every event is good for one thing. So for example, like our taste of qualified events, our virtual wine tasting events are really, really good for influencing pipeline and accelerating pipeline, but they're not really great for like sourcing pipeline or like that first touch of pipeline. Yeah. So I think the more data that you have and the ability to get more of those full funnel metrics will just really help you decide one, where to spend your money and two, communicate with your executive teams and level set early on, on what is impactful and what is actually mm -hmm. a successful event. Got it. That that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, in you're you're talking a lot about you know down funnel and, and engagement and and where to to use certain things. So thinking about this this shift uh, post pandemic, how things have have gotten a, a bit different. Has this had an effect on the relationship between sales and marketing? And was there a change in how the the two teams can work and support each other? For sure, I think uh, obviously pre pandemic, I think about events and they were in person. And you would send like your whole sales team. So like you would have like your, your whole rep team would be at events and they like saw events, they saw the magic that happened, they had the conversations. And so I think there was more rep buy-in for events mm -hmm. pre-COVID. And then I think as we've shifted more to virtual now, I think something that we've struggled with at Qualified and we've been trying to overcome, and I think we've done a, a good job of it, but we realized during COVID is when reps aren't there and they're not in person, it's harder to get that buy-in on the quality of leads. And I think mm -hmm. something that people often forget with events is it's, it's really a long game is like the, you're going to get leads. It's going to be great for building your database, but it's not going to be instantaneous pipeline. And it really is about taking those leads and nurturing them and moving them through the funnel in a, a way that's relevant to them. And I think mm -hmm. if they're pushed over to sales too, too soon, especially in like a virtual world, is it starts to train sales? Like these aren't great leads and it can kind of create this misalignment between sales and marketing that when you do give them event leads, they're like, uh, do I really want to work these? Are these really going to be the type of leads I want? And so I think that was a challenge that we found to, that we had to overcome because prior to COVID, like that wasn't a thing, like AEs, reps, like sure. really bought into events. They loved events. They loved going to them. And now I think it's, it's reaching in that it's okay. Like virtual leads are the same. Nothing has changed. And how can we still align together virtually when we're not together as a team and you can still believe that these are great leads and we need to work them because they are going to evolve into really high quality pipeline in terms of your expectations on the, the impact and effects events have on business, um, what, what have you had to adjust um, in this sort of new operating mode? Yep. And I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I'm going to dig a little deeper is I think 
once we started to bring in our full funnel metrics and looked at our like first touch, our influence, what was sourcing pipeline from an events perspective, we started to recognize that different events were good for certain things. So as example, like I said, like our taste of qualified is really, really good for accelerating pipeline and influencing it after we already have a relationship for them. Um, other events are really good for first touch. So if we go, we sponsor, like we just did Dreamforce, huge event, obviously. We're going to get a ton of first touch leads from that, that we were never in our database. We didn't know anything about them. And I think having those two different data sets and talking about those from different attribution standpoints helps the expectations, not only for ourselves, but our leadership team on what to expect from different events. So for example, when we do, um, we do V2 moms, same as OKRs, it's just like the Salesforce version of, of quarterly planning. Everything that we set for different events is we set pipeline goals for them. But then when we talk about our different events in our V2 mom, we're saying like, okay, we're going to do our, our virtual events and we're going to influence X amount of pipeline. But for a larger sponsored event, we're going to first touch, bring in this much potential pipeline over a six to 12 month period. So it just helped us set different expectations with our leadership team, yeah. as opposed to every time we do an event and so we don't have them a month later being like, all right, where's our pipeline? Like, what? <laughs> where's our pipeline from this? And I think it just helped us have better expectations across the whole board of like what to expect from each individual and each mm -hmm. different type of event because in-person and virtual are just vastly different. Yeah. And I know you you mentioned Dreamforce and I know uh, with Qualified, you, you all do quite a few in-person events. Um, just curious now, now that that's really started to ramp back up in the, the back half of 2022 here, what what have you seen has has uh, changed that um, you know is is a maybe a, a new way of doing the in person side of events um, in this uh, we'll call it post pandemic world? Yeah, so I can talk about like what other so what I've seen I guess from what other companies are doing, um, typically smaller. So like they're going to have less sponsors. Um, the way that they're going to set up booths in person, I think like they're trying to make it a little bit more intimate. So you have to have people like walk through to get to stuff. So it hasn't changed, I think as drastically, maybe like size. Um, a lot of them have a hybrid version now, so you can be in person, but you also have to be virtual. Like you have the option to be virtual. I know me personally, what's changed for in person now is one, I don't have the ability to like slyly scan your badge anymore. Like I remember pre COVID, you got really good. You were in sales era, but you remember like people would walk by and you're really good at like glancing at their badge and be like, yeah. Oh, I don't want to talk to you or I do I, like, I can't do that anymore. Not slyly. Um, so I kind of just have to like, and I can't like stand out in an aisle way anymore and like snag people and have conversations. Mm -hmm. And what we've actually started to do that's worked. I think, I, I think well for us in person is obviously we're selling into a specific persona and we're looking at, you know, we get our prospectus before events and we're saying like, what's our, what's the main persona that's going to be there. And can we send more people like the main congregate of persona just to build relationships? So I'm very fortunate yeah. in that we sell into demand gen and marketing. So it tends to be me a lot of times at events is like we go to marketing events. So I'm like the persona that's there. And what I found is instead of trying to do the hard sell and like scan, look at badges and like grab people out of the aisle, it's like just chat with peers is like go around and like just target booth. I'm not going to sell them. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm going to go to different uh, sessions and like talk to people after sessions and just build a network. And I found that that plays the long game a lot better is building those relationships in person is a lot, it leads to a lot higher quality pipeline and revenue farther down the funnel, as opposed to like the older way when it was just like scam badges as much as you can. And I'm going to come back because I have to have a thousand leads because I told my executive team, like this is going to generate a thousand leads from the booth. I think we're really going for like quality over quantity now. And I think mm -hmm. that's been a lot more bought into, which is great. Absolutely. And so, uh, 
when you when you think about you know an in person versus a virtual event, do you do you see them as having the same goal at the end of the day, or are you approaching each of those based on the event type differently? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, they all have, the, at least for us, like they all have the same goal. Like we always want to drive pipeline and revenue from events and whether that's accelerating pipeline or creating pipeline, like that is the end goal. But for me, I think for in-person, I kind of mentioned it's relationship building. Like if you have the opportunity to be in person now, like how can we leverage that and optimize that opportunity in person to build relationships with those people? And I think, again, that goes to doing like beyond just sponsoring, can we do like smaller intimate events at the larger event? Are we sending the right people that are going to build those relationships as opposed to like our entire sales org? Um, From a virtual perspective, I do think like the ones that we do at Qualified Virtually is still about relationship and like network building. Like it's smaller. It's about breakout sessions, idea sharing. But I do think when we think virtual, we think about speaking opportunities. So as a company, like if we're going to do virtual we want to get a chance to do some thought leadership. Like that's always our, like in person, it's about like networking because you have a larger, you're in person, like you can go and talk to your peers, but virtually you don't really have that opportunity. So if we can get any thought leadership opportunities, that's what we're going to like over calibrate towards when we're evaluating. But obviously the end goal is always pipeline and revenue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In in terms of um, hybrid events, uh, has qualified started wading into those waters or is it still, you know, separation of church and state in person and virtual? So still separation of church and state right now. We, I won't give too many details away. We're starting to talk about our own qualified conference here in the the near future. We're still working out those details. Um, And I will say we went through a lot of evaluation of like, is it in person? Is it virtual? Is it hybrid? And at first we lean towards hybrid because we love the in-person part. Like we really do love that connection. But the feedback we got from our CEO and our CMO, which I totally agree with, is like, do one really well first. Like, make sure as you start these events, if you're going to do one style of it and just get it down and nail it before you try to do too much at once. So for us, we're still like, it's going to be one or the other. We did like an in-person event at Dreamforce. We did a smaller like Demand Gen Visionaries Mm -hmm. Live and was like a a smaller in-person event. But I think we're still keeping those separate, but partially that's because our team, we're still a scrappy startup. We still don't have the bandwidth to, we think, do it at the caliber that we would want to, to do hybrid, right? Yeah. Um, I know you, uh, we mentioned earlier, it's a bit different how sales used to be a lot more motivated to drive the registrations with the in-person type events. I'm curious if, you know, I, I, we touched on it a bit, but is there any any other tidbits of info or, or tactics that have worked well for driving registrations to either your in-person or your virtual events? Yeah, I think we, commission was a big one, like changing comp structure obviously helps incentivize. Um, going back to the champion, having someone attend. So like I'll use our taste qualified event. Uh, we had one of our, we typically don't have salespeople come to that event because it is for like networking and we go into breakout sessions and it typically helps people open up and and speak a little more freely if we don't have sales reps there, no offense to our sales reps. Um, but we did have one opportunity for one of our like VPs of sales. We needed to lead a breakout session and we had a little bit more like sales presence in that particular event. And then we found he went back to the team and was like getting to see it. He was like, it was such a great event you guys need to be driving every single prospect here. Like the conversations were so good. And so having that champion internally, we saw registrations increase dramatically. So I was like, oh, maybe we should have done this sooner. Like maybe we should have brought in like one or two just to see what it's like. Because then again, you get that buy-in from them that they heard the conversations. They saw how much they opened up. 
They got to see a little bit of our product and they, I think we hadn't maybe done the best job of communicating that to the broader team. So I think that finding your champions internally, the comp structure is a big one. Um, and then if, if it's a really high touch event, we actually have like myself or our CMO will do outreach. So if it's like a smaller high touch event, it's like, doesn't have to be sales. Like is the right person, potentially your marketing team or whoever your persona is. So we've dabbled with that a little bit as well. Nice. Um, so at Qualified, there's a lot of talk about the three revolutions in the B2B buyer behavior, the content revolution, the privacy revolution, the communication revolution. Can you quickly talk us through each one? Yes. Content revolution to me means people aren't willing to wait to get content anymore. Like if you think about the content we receive from a B2C perspective, like Netflix, Hulu, everything is on demand. Like everything is just instantaneous gratification. And I think whether we like it or not, we've been trained like that from B2B buyers. Like we want instant gratification. And I think there's an expectation for instant gratification now with B2B content. So to me, that is a content revolution. Like we can't just hide things anymore. And like, we're going to email it to you in like three to five business days. Like we want it, we want it now. And if you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to go find it somewhere else. And then that kind of leads and ties into the privacy revolution, which is like, I'm not willing to give you my information for that content until I'm ready. So like you have good content, but so does every other person on the internet now. So am I really willing to give up my business email address to get that content? Like, I think we've just been trained as buyers to be a little bit more, um, we just hold on to our private, like our, our private information a little bit longer until we are farther in the cycle and ready to talk to sales. Cause we know as soon as we get it, give that information up, we're going to get reached out to and that's okay. It's just about, we want it to happen when we want it to happen. Um, and then I think there to like the communication revolution is that kind of like leads into that communication revolution, which is like, I'm not going to give you my information until I'm ready to have a conversation. And then when I'm ready to have a conversation, I want it to be on my own terms and I want it to happen like instantly. So it's like this instant gratification. I feel like as I say this, I'm like humans just have really short attention spans, which I think is just true. But from a communication standpoint, if you finally decided like, I, I'm interested in this product, I'm going to give you my information. I want to ask some questions right now. If I can't get those questions answered right away in like a timely fashion, I'm going to find it somewhere else or my brain's just going to forget about it. Like I'm going to move on to something different. So I think all of these are like this flywheel, like they all work together. And it's just been this really big shift that's sort of been, I feel like fueled by B2C and also fueled by just like the pandemic and like this digital first transformation, but they all kind of work together. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, I obviously, uh, it, it makes sense for, uh, again, the, the space you're in as well. Um, if, if the three of these do represent that flywheel, uh, having the ability to get information and then engage immediately, um, it yeah. is sort of, uh, I, I want it when I want it and I don't want it until then mindset. And I don't which, want it until then. And like, yes. I mean, from a content perspective, like I'll go find content. I will still download content because like, I know I'm going to get put in nurture's track and sometimes I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Like as a marketer, especially I'm like, I'd love to see it. I want to see what other people oh, yeah. are doing. But I from a, I think from one. a buying perspective, it's like, once I've done my research, I think buyers are doing a lot of their own research anonymously mm -hmm. now. And we, we have a whole book on it called The Rise of the Anonymous Buyer. But you do a lot of your own research. You're looking at that ungated content so you don't have to give up your private information. But then when you've made the decision like, okay, I think this is the right thing to fix my pain point, you kind of expect that instant gratification of finding the answers and getting into a sales cycle quickly. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So our final question here. Um, every week you offer your followers a, a sassy opinion. Can you hit us with one right now? 
Um, okay, I'm going to make my sassy opinion for this particular, I'm going to make it event specific since this is an event. Um, and I kind of touched on it a bit, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it again is from an events perspective, if you're going to do any type of event, whether it's a small virtual big, do it really well several times before you move on to the next one. And I think that's something we found is like, it should be a well-oiled machine before you decide to jump to the next event or expand on it or bridge. And I think it's really easy to like, be like, oh, it's great. We did three of them and they went really well. And then you move too quickly. And then you realize like, oh, we we had some cracks in the foundation. Like we didn't really have this as good as it needed to be. So like really hold yourself to high standards from an event perspective. And as you're doing each particular event type, make sure you've got it down. Like you've got the science down, you can do it in your sleep. And then that's your sure sign to be like, okay, now it's time to expand. Now it's time to move on to the next one. So just, um, I guess to shorten it, don't, uh, don't half-ass multiple things. Just one ass one thing really, really well. All right. You, you heard it here from Sarah McConnell, whole <laughs> ass. Um, well, again, Sarah, thank you so much. This is this has been uh, a great conversation. We appreciate you spending the time with us, um, coming here to represent Qualified and, and being a part of Virtually Live. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. Thank you, Sarah McConnell and Aaron Durando for joining us today. And thank you for tuning in. To give you a little taste of what's coming next week, Here's seven questions and events with Associate Dean for Digital Innovation, Kellogg School of Management, Mohan Birsani. Welcome to Seven Minutes in Events, seven questions in seven minutes with industry expert Mohan Birsani. No time to waste, let's go. What is the one thing you want your attendees to get out of your events? The appreciation that the future of learning and the future of education really is omni-channel. So let's stop thinking about false dichotomies like online learning and in-person learning, and let's stop focusing on the channel that we are using, and let's focus it on the learner and think about how we can blend all of these modalities to create rich learning experiences. What is your favorite way to engage with your audience? I find that when you're engaging with an audience, you're not only teaching them, you're actually performing. So my favorite way to, to engage with the audience is storytelling, but also the use of metaphors, the use of analogy, and you gotta keep it funny because we are all actually not only teachers, we are stand-up comedians. So the first principle of engagement is you gotta keep them interested and, and to keep them interested, you have to do storytelling. You have to bring ideas to life through metaphors, through analogies, and yeah, keep things funny, keep things keep things light. Uh, so that's what helps me engage more deeply with audiences. And who would your dream keynote speaker be? No restrictions. Well, you said no restrictions, so I'm, I'm going to go with somebody who's dead. Uh, I would love <laughs> to have a keynote speech by Albert Einstein, you know, and because he was not only one of the greatest uh, scientists and physicists of our time, but he was also a humanist. And uh, so his views on science and religion are, are, are as interesting as his theories of uh, general special relativity. So that would be my bet. Wonderful. And which trend in virtual events are you most looking forward to? I think the idea of being able to scale events without limits and to be able to have engagement with the audience before and after. Because too often 
an event after it happens just disappears into the ether. But having a the ability to actually connect the audience and engage with them pre and post, and to be able to do this at scale in a very rich way, and to have that interaction before, during, and after the event. So it's sort of like combining the benefits of Slack and the engagement with the idea of events, I think is a very interesting trend I'm looking forward to. Love it. What is an event marketing pitfall that people should watch out for? I think that um, in, 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 in marketing of events, um, you really need to think about the segmentation and the target audience and make sure that you're not trying to sort of create a message that will appeal to everybody. Because when you try to create a message and an event that will appeal to everybody, they're actually going to appeal to nobody. So uh, whenever you create an event, I'll, provo- I'll offer a provocative thought. Think about the audience you will say no to. Think about people who are not relevant because that will force you to think about who are the people who this is really relevant for. So, you know, overly broad themes and overly broad targeting is an event marketing pitfall that you should avoid. And what's your go-to source for personal development info in terms of events and marketing? I think that um, after having said a lot of things about online education, my personal go-to is actually working with uh, startups and and, uh, working with entrepreneurs because they are at the cutting edge and they keep me young, they teach me a lot. So I spend a lot of time on the road working with uh, not only with startups, but also with the big uh, big technology companies. So I love to really hear from uh, and, and be in conversations with them. Uh, and that's my go-to personal development, whether it's marketing or innovation or any other topic. I think there is nothing more interesting than talking to people who are solving complex problems and who are at the cutting edge of technology. Uh, and preferably they're young. So that's what keeps me young. How about a shout out to another event professional? So uh, I think that uh, the technology companies like Salesforce and Microsoft with its Ignite uh, or Sales or, or SAP with their Sapphire, I really find these are participated in some of these events and they are just uh, phenomenal. And now, of course, they are using all of these best practices that we talked about in that context. Thank you so much, Professor Mohan. This has been wonderful. It's been a pleasure. Um, I hope you enjoyed the virtually live event. It's been a great pleasure talking with you.